BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. As we speak, it's Tuesday, September 24th, but of course, you could be listening to this anytime because it's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. And uh, we have a great conversation ahead of us. One of my favorite conversations from a previous lifetime uh, doing this talking to a microphone thing. Different person, though. So before we get any further, I get ahead of myself here. Uh, bonus guest. We have a, a specialty here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. I ask each bonus guest to introduce him or herself. So bonus guest introduce yourself. I'm Deborah Caldwell-Stone. I am the Interim Director for ALA's Office for Intellectual Freedom. I'm a recovering attorney. Uh, <laughs> Did I, you say recovering attorney? Yes. I, it was I, an addiction, but you're <laughs> over it now. Uh, I spent uh, six years doing litigation for mid-sized firms and uh, a local corporation that shall go unnamed, um, but received the opportunity in 2000 to come do First Amendment and privacy work for librarians, and I leapt at the opportunity. So I've been at ALA for 19 and a half years now, going on 20, and uh, I love the work. I love working with librarians, and I love defending the freedom to read. So in other words, you're the bulldog they send into court when somebody tries to yank a book off the shelf? Well, I supervise attorneys who go uh, to go to court on our behalf, but yes. I think I may have talked to you on the phone once. You may or well Or twice. Have. Yes. Were you involved in the Persepolis? Uh, uh, absolutely. That Okay, everybody out there, this was an obsession of mine that went on for several months, back and I want to say 2012 or 13, right. can't remember, the, the, the Chicago Board of Education and its infinite wisdom, the Chicago Public Schools and its infinite wisdom yanked Persepolis off the shelf from libraries and high schools throughout the city. I know it's a tangent here, but uh, Deborah, let's just talk about that. They're insane. Talk about how significant Persepolis, people who run the schools were so clueless, they didn't even know what Persepolis was. Absolutely not. And, you know, uh, you can gauge how important the book was to the students that Lane Tech students hit the streets within an hour of learning that they were losing access to the book. Yeah, And that's where we got involved. Uh, they called us and we literally hopped in our car and joined the protest. We handed out t-shirts, carried signs, and made uh, connections with the students. Uh, we then we reached out to the ACLU here in town and working with uh, Ed Yanka at the ACLU and a few other folks, um, we started FOIA requests, we started demanding answers. And the reason it actually came to light is a brave uh, principal, Lane Tech's principal in fact, um, kind of sent out an email without any restrictions on it that detailed the fact that the books were being pulled. Mm -hmm. And it was only later, um, uh, and we got very lucky with this, an MLS student from uh, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign was writing a thesis mm -hmm. on, on the whole challenge. And we didn't get anything for our FOIA requests. We were denied, ACLU was denied. They said there was nothing there. Um, we tried again, we rewrote our requests, got nothing. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Dapier sent his request in for his thesis and got lucky. He got emails like you wouldn't believe. And so now we know that uh, uh, an administrator at a school on the west side was offended by a few panels in Persopolis, which by the way, it's a graphic novel. Yes. And uh, it's, uh, Marjane Chartrappi's book, uh, just a lovely story about growing up, coming of age under in revolutionary Iran. Mm -hmm. And some of the panels deal with the fact that people were arrested and tortured in jail. And uh, one of them shows a guard, a very crude photograph, uh, image actually, uh, of a guard urinating on a prisoner as a, a means of torture. torture. Yeah. yeah. Humiliation. You know, and uh, so 
Uh, the administrator thought that this was unfit for any child under 18 to see and sent uh, uh, an email to Barbara Bird. And Barbara Bird sent, out, yeah. Yeah, and sent out the email saying, pull this book. It's, it's obscene. It's mm -hmm. offensive. Um, and they had to actually backtrack because um, we, they had a very savvy, very thoughtful uh, head of libraries uh, in 2006. And he worked very hard to get a very good policy in place that required that books stay in the library during reconsideration. So they, when, that's one thing we called them on. We said, look, you've got this policy. March 22nd, 2006, you, your uh, school, school board approved this policy. You cannot pull this book out of the school libraries until you undergo can reconsideration process. So they had to return all the copies to the school libraries, but they kept them out of the classroom. Yeah. By the way, uh, Dapier, the, uh, uh, the gentleman who did the FOIA request, was more than lucky. Just a little side point here before we get to the uh, a tangent within a tangent, if you will, Deborah. He was more than lucky. Uh, when, when he sent in, follow me in this, everybody. I'm obsessed with the stories coming back. When when he sent in his freedom of information request, he asked for the same information Absolutely. you did. Well, they sent back what redacted, which means it's blacked out. So they sent back pages and pages of, of, of um, emails and correspondence that were redacted. Unfortunately for them, and fortunately for the rest of us, the former redaction they did was not to take a piece of paper and put a black mark, mar magic marker on it to black it out so you couldn't see it under any circumstances. They superimposed some black marking from a computer. And so this guy was smart enough to figure out how to obliterate the black marking that they superimposed, thus exposing for the world to see the email that was underneath. And I'll tell you what really irritates me, and, and you will appreciate this as a, a, a fighter for the First Amendment, there was no legitimate reason whatsoever to black that out in the first place, to redact it in the first oh, place. Oh, absolutely not. And I actually had conversations with um, some of my superiors at ALA saying, and the Freedom to Read Foundation, um, that you know, essentially we could probably look for damages. They lied to us when they said that there were no responsive documents to our requests. And like I said, we, when we got the first denial, we thought, okay, we'll play the game. We'll retune this. We'll be very more de much more detailed about what we ask for and be very specific. And again, they denied us. And I said, this is actionable. We should go to the attorney general's office and file our complaint. But they thought, you know. Yeah, let it go. Is that what they thought? Well, generally, when you know, the excuse given when they redact, this is my favorite information. Uh, I mm -hmm. do a lot of stories like this. You know this better than I do, Deborah. You know the law. But generally, there's the, when, when a reporter asks to see information from the city and they redact stuff, they go, oh, Pat, you don't understand. You know, there's like competitive interests here. If we showed this and a competitor would, would expose him or herself some secrets that they want to protect, mm. or there's a name that we have to protect, or, you know, we want to protect this, or there's a phone number. I mean, there's always some reason, you know. Yeah. When you saw these emails, there was no reason. They were just... <laughs> They were like just giving us the middle finger, like you know, yeah. Dapieri. The kid's no dope. He figured out how to. Yeah, he. What they done is like uh, PDFs. You yeah, know, PDF. you can and you can reverse engineer PDFs if you have the right software. And you know, I didn't know I was interviewing Mark Zuckerberg. Good God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, knows a lot about computers. All right, let's move on. Um, yeah, this is my one of my uh, favorite uh, segments. I used to do this all the time in the old show. Uh, we would talk about the greatest hits of uh, once a year. You have your uh, uh, your list of the eleven. It's just eleven. Usually it's ten. We'll get into why it's eleven this year. Of most uh, banned books in our country. Mm -hmm. I was like that. Started off with this. I don't know if you ever heard me when I used to do this. Well, let's just, you know, the right wing, and I know you have no politics. You're just a First Amendment lawyer. That's it. But the right wing always likes to say that the lefties are snowflakes, and they're the ones who get so sensitive about anything that... Uh, upsets them, mm -hmm. you know, and they man it up or we'll man it up, all right? And so I always said, well, let's just take a look at the ideological background, if you will, of the people who are so sensitive that they need to ban a book. Snowflakes. Yeah. So, so we're just going to run down this list and see if any of them are being banned by uh, people of the leftist persuasion, mm -hmm. all right? So we could do it. I'll do this. I won't make you do it because, oh, uh, you know, you can join in if you sure. want. Uh, so anyway, talk about, first of all, uh, how you uh, 
you, you, you know about how this list is compiled of bad Well, things. we both solicit voluntary reports from members of the profession, library workers, mm-hmm. uh, and educators from across the country. Uh, so um, we uh, ask them to tell us about censorship. We provide them anonymity and confidentiality if they need it, so that we get honest reporting, as much reporting as we can. And the fact is, is that librarians and educators still lose their jobs over these issues. So we provide them with the protection just so we can get the data. The second thing we do is we do very close monitoring of media reports. Um, and we're kind of frustrated these days because there's so little local reporting now that um, it's hard to keep track of what's going on with local school boards and school bo- uh, local library boards as well. So uh, we're, we know that we're not hearing about all the challenges that are going on in the country. Um, one measure is, um, I don't know if you've heard this story before, but uh, University of Missouri uh, Columbia Journalism School uh, class did a FOIA project, and they chose as their project challenges, book challenges in schools and libraries. And so they sent FOIA requests across the state, and they documented all their responses, and they shared their data with us. And we found that we only had 8% of the challenges reported to them in our database. So we know that we're not hearing about this. And we simply don't have the capacity in our staff to send out FOIA requests. If we're even eligible to send FOIA in some states, you know, we, you have to be a state resident in many places to get those things. So um, we, we're guessing we're hearing about 20, 25% of it. Uh, and then we compile these numbers and we create this list of the most challenged and banned books uh, based on the data we have. And we don't pretend it's comprehensive, but we do say it's a fair snapshot of trends and censorship in our schools and libraries. All right. Fair fair snapshot of trends in censorship. Wow. Let's just pause to think about that for a while. Uh, There have been 483 books. I'm reading this uh, from your press release. 483 books that were challenged or banned in 2018. 483. And these are the top 11. Now, why is it 11 and not 10? You were going to tell me that. Well, when we compile the list, sometimes there's ties, and we have to make an arbitrary decision. Who gets to, if it's a tie? <laughs> there's I mean, ties. <laughs> Would you flip a coin? No, but no, you're... No, I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, number 10 and number 11. You, you've seen this in other rankings, yes. right? You know, so number 10 and number 11 have the same number of challenges. Wow. And how do you choose, yeah, you know? It's tough, man. You know, and so sometimes you make a calculated decision. This is a more media, uh, happy, more, uh, friendly title, so we'll choose that one, right? Okay, fair enough. You know, but in this case, we felt we couldn't leave out number 11. Both number 10 and number 11 were books that were part of a Pride Month display in Orange City, Iowa. All right, let's get to this. So let's start, uh, we're going to do this the way I always used to do this with Jamie. We'd go from 11 to 1, all right? So that's descending order. I think about that. So 11 and 10 were both books, uh, uh, This Day in June, Two Boys Kissing, were part of a Pride Month display at at Orange City, Iowa's library. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were protests of the display itself um, uh, on grounds that it uh, offended, uh, violated the religious freedom of conservatives in the community to have the mere fact that there were books addressing LGBTQ issues on display in the library. Um, But they dealt with that challenge and the Display remained up, and but wait. Let's just pause for that for a moment. You're a First Amendment uh, rights lawyer. Mm-hmm. Let's think about that religious freedom. So this is uh, I've talked about this a lot. The weaponization of the First Amendment Absolutely. by the right, and one of the things they talk about is a religious freedom. This is an argument going right now with Millennium Park right here in downtown Chicago, where there's a group of uh, of Christian students from I believe it's Wheaton. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's Wheaton, some suburb. Mm-hmm. They want to the uh, the right to proselytize. Uh, in the park, and the city is very restrictive about who, mm-hmm. what you can do in Millennium Park. Right. I might mix feelings about it, to tell you the truth. But so, how is it a violation of someone's religious freedom if you allow somebody's First Amendment right to see a book? How, how could it, the same amendment be used each time for opposite? Um, purposes. 
Uh, it's their argument that as taxpayers, they're entitled to be free from having uh, their children exposed to contrary ideas, that a taxpayer-supported institution should support them as parents and support the practice of their religion and their moral values. Um, uh, it, uh, just as a little bit of detail, Orange City is home of Northwestern College, which is one of the most conservative Christian colleges in the Midwest. And so their faculty came together and the people who live in the town came together to protest this display, which, by the way, was serving the needs of gay, lesbian, transgender uh, people in the community who existed there um, and was, uh, were asking for these books, particularly teens. Um, so the library board went through the challenge, uh, decided to retain the display. And in response, a religious activist, one of the most uh, loudest ones, decided to do take action. And so he borrowed four of the books, sat down in front of his camera, and streamed on Facebook Live the book burning that he said would save the children of the community from more occasions of sin. So he burned uh, Two Boys Kissing this day in June, um, Morris Micklethwaite in the Tangerine Dress, and um, that's a fourth book, and I'm sorry I don't have it here in front of me, but he four, all four books were part of the Pride display, and he burned them. And so um, we thought we couldn't, in, the, in fairness, distinguish between two boys kissing and this day in June because they had been burned in protest, book burning in the 21st century in the United States um, to vindicate someone's religious beliefs and moral beliefs. Now, uh this day in June. Have you read this day? I've never read it. Have you read it? It's a children's chapter book mm -hmm. uh, about pride parades and June. Oh, this day in June. Duh. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and it has illustrations about leather folks and, and effeminate folks and drag queens and uh, fa families that have same-sex parents and everything. And it's really a charming, lovely book. And it's intended for families who want to know more about this or are part of, uh, who have same-sex parents and want to know more about culture and history uh, of uh, the gay uh, rights movement. And I, um, I can sort of guess from the title what Two Boys Kissing is mm -hmm. about, but go into a little detail. Young adult romance novel about same-sex relationship between mm -hmm. two young men discovering their both coming of age and discovering their sexual identity and their attraction for okay. each other. All right. So uh, were they successful in getting, uh, ultimately, were they successful in getting the, the, the library to ban the books? No. Uh, in fact, it backfired. Um, he was arrested uh, and charged the with- The book burner. The book burner for, and charged with- uh, Arson. Criminal misdemeanor damage of public property, which in fact is what you do when you steal a book and burn it, you know. Um, when, he, when he's talking about his taxpayer rights, he forgot he was infringing on other taxpayers' rights, right? Um, so he was arrested, charged, and actually in the end convicted of uh, dam you know, criminal misdemeanor damage to mm -hmm. the books. Um, uh, but what happened is that made the media. Of course, he was streaming this on Facebook Live and got lots of coverage. And the library got so many donations of the burned books that they were distributing them around the state. They just couldn't accommodate them anymore. Yes. So people donated books to replace the burned books. People already also enjoy, uh, donated cash. So the library ended up with like a $2,000 endowment to fund pride activities in, into the indefinite future. And this was in Orange City, Iowa? Orange City, Iowa. I'm trying to figure out where that is on a map. Do you know where it is? I believe it's in Northwest Iowa. Oh, okay. Northwest. Yeah, close to the river. <laughs> I had to go. So it's on the western side. So oh, yeah. I got to now. I got to do a map. What Nebraska? But Nebraska will be the south. So what's the state that borders Iowa on the northwest? Um, I, either South Dakota or Minnesota. Very good. I think it's Minnesota. <laughs> Good job, man. So Minnesota, yeah. I would think Minnesota. Actually, I'm really, I applaud Iowa. 
for having this display. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and uh, you know, the the Iowa actually has a really great uh, state library association, and they and the librarians support each other, and uh, they have an active intellectual freedom committee in the state. So, uh, the librarian got all kinds of support, and we provided support. Uh, the ACLU provided support. So she ended up not being alone, but. In, you know, in the very beginning, when she was first facing this challenge, here she was, a librarian in a small town, with uh, a community that wasn't 100% supportive of what she was doing. But in the end, it all came oh, that's out awesome. right. It's I love librarians, nurses, and teachers. Mm-hmm. Not in necessarily in that order. It's a tie. All right, let's. Uh, number nine is the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian. I know this book well, Sherman Alexi. Uh, who banned that? It's one of the, it's very it's a very good book. It's fun to read. Anyway, who who banned it? Well, he actually absolutely true diary is a perennial on our top ten list for the last four or five years. But um, I in this case it was a few schools in Idaho where the parents didn't want their kids reading the infamous pages twenty four and twenty five of the novel where our protagonist talks about um, what thir- all fourteen year old boys think about masturbation. And so, uh, plus there's alcoholism, profanity, um, uh, challenging situations with death of characters and things like that. And so parents routinely bring challenges to Absolutely True Diary, routinely enough that it's a constant on our top 10 list. Oh, page, and they even got the page known as page 24. Well, Don't go there. Every kid will then, a modern, well, let's see what's on page Well, 24. do you want to know why I know those pages? Uh, <laughs> I actually supported uh, a parents group that was fighting the removal of the book in a small Missouri town. Mm-hmm. And they invited me to support the them when they gave testimony in front of the school board in support of the book. And um, I have, I am ashamed to report this about a member of my own profession, but the town prosecutor got up with enormous enlargements of page 24 and 25 of Absolutely True Diary and, and said, Ladies and gentlemen, this is obscene under Missouri law. It's a violation of the law. When he comes into the state, I'm going to arrest him for violating our obscenity statute, which is absolutely wrong. It's absolutely constitutionally protected. It's nowhere near even pornography, you know. But that was the tenor of the challenge to the book in that town. Wow. So that's how I know pages 24 yeah, and 25. No. Uh, you it, know? <laughs> the infamous pages 20. Now I'm going to go home and go look at them because it's been a while since I read that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sherman Alexi is a, is a very good writer. All right. Uh, number eight, the Skippy John, the Skippy John Jones series. Talk about that by written and illustrated by Judy Shackner. Well, this is the one instance where there was a challenge from those seeking social justice in the world because it has very stereotypical depictions of Mexican culture in it. Mm-hmm. And the pre- people who brought the challenge to the book felt that it was damaging to um, uh, to young people who were reading the book that they would get either a misconception about Mexican culture or it would denigrate their own perception of themselves as Mexicans and things. So, and the book itself is. Uh, meant for preschoolers and early readers. Um, It's about a Siamese cat who is growing up and he thinks he's a chihuahua. And so in pretending he's a chihuahua, they go where you might not prefer them to go with stereotypical behavior and made up words, made up language and things like that. how How old is this book? Uh, it's about three or four or five so years old. it's relatively old. recent. Relatively recent. And it's actually uh, a relatively popular series, I, uh, I'm told. I've only looked at the book. I haven't read it thoroughly. I did hear it performed by City Lit. Um, City Lit Theater is once again doing their tour of libraries and institutions during this week to perform uh, readings of the top 10 and top 11 books challenged. And so they performed it for us this week. And it was interesting to hear the words actually spoken and you can understand why the challenge was brought. And, but what's your, so you can understand why the challenge was brought, uh, but you still defend the right of, what was it, a, li- a, a library that had, yeah. a school library? Yeah, so, and uh, you, know, it, you know, it was acquired within the belief that it served the information needs of the community. It's not obscene, it's not child pornography. Um, so, 
you know, we'll defend the right of the library to acquire that material and we'll defend the right of people to read it. Many years ago, way before your time, the ACLU defended the right of Nazis to march in Skokie, mm -hmm. which was uh, at the time predominantly Jewish, a suburb just northwest of the city of Chicago. ACLU lost a lot of members over mm -hmm. that. Uh, did When you defended the right of this uh, library to have Skippy John Jones on its shelves, did you get outrage calls from... Um, people of the leftist persuasion? To, we, we got, I actually, I have to tell you, I got one email, um, which um, I said, you know, we defend books no matter what. We just collect the statistics and we defend the right of the library to acquire it. It's not an endorsement of the content. Um, and so uh, that's just part of our work. To what, where was this library that wanted to ban Skippy John Jones or is it all over the country? Oh, it's just, I, I would have to look into the details of that. I was but, just uh, curious where it was. Yeah. Um, but all right, so Skippy John Jones, which I've never heard of, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm really curious what the writer has to say if, if she's ever defended herself. She has, in fact. What does she say? Do you remember? Um, she just believes that she should be able to express herself and that children love her books. And she was just uh, a little upset that someone would propose removing her books from circulation. And so uh, she actually, when we did the CHOP 11 announcement in April, uh, she actually participated as a band author. We invited band authors to express themselves. So she did. All right. This one, this one summer uh, by Mariko Tamaki. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about that. Uh, it's another uh, young adult coming of age novel uh, about two young girls' relationship, and it doesn't pull any punches. They talk about their developing tatas and uh, same-sex relationships. Um, there's some profanity, um, and that's all a little bit too much for some parents and some advocacy groups to deal with. So they've at, they've challenged the book in school libraries and in public libraries particularly in young adult collections, uh, teen collections. So, um, so they, and it's an illustrated novel. So uh, two sisters have created it. Uh, the sister, uh, Mariko's sister, uh, uh, Jillian. Jillian, oh yeah, yeah, I see that. She did yeah. the illustrations. Yeah, so um, just a little bit too much honesty about adolescence and growing up, sexuality and coming of age. Well, I would put that under the rightist uh, side of the equation, yes, my absolutely. guess is. Yes. Uh, I would say, in fact, this is how I'll do it. Uh, would the person who made requested the book be banned be more likely to have voted for Donald Trump in 2016 or Hillary Clinton? So far, Trump is destroying Hillary Clinton in this competition. <laughs> and for all I know, some of the people who are complaining about Skippy John Jones uh, may have been a Trump voter or two in there, but we don't know. Let's just yeah. assume they're all Hillary people there. All right, number six, 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher. I think I've heard of this book before. I think I've talked about this book in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, and one of the reasons is that Netflix made it into That's a series. It. Yes. And um, in fairness to the author in the book, mm -hmm. um, he doesn't glamorize the suicide. In fact, he doesn't even write about it. You know, he just alludes to it as a fact in the book. But the Netflix series actually did a scene with the dying girl dying in the arms of her sobbing mother, you know, just exploited it for everything. Um, and so the rise and challenges to 13 Reasons Why in the last year came from the series. People saw the series on Netflix and uh, were fearful that it would spark uh, a suicide epidemic mm. among adolescents. And so we had a number of instances where principals just ran to the school library and pulled the book off yeah. the shelf without really understanding what the book itself was about or how the book itself portrayed suicide or discussed suicide. Well, there's that knee-jerk reaction, and that was mm -hmm. a perception was sort of along those lines. One complaint triggers, oh, we got to get this off. The, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's that knee-jerk reaction. Right. Without think, Because the, the primary concern of a principal apparently is not his First Amendment rights. Right. No. You know I saying? mean, no. The, they're, they're, you know, and, and they'll argue they're looking after students' safety and um, protecting students from themselves, um, uh, that students aren't capable of dealing with these things emotionally uh, appropriately. Uh, and so um, we had a number of instances where the book just was taken off the shelf by administration. And... Um, 
So we raised our usual, we helped librarians raise the usual issue of you're not following your policy. There's a reconsideration policy in place. You have to follow due process, your public institution. Um, and so we succeeded in most instances, but there are a number of schools that just kept it off the shelf because they were so fearful that somebody would suicide and the book was on the shelf and parents would complain. Mm. Uh, geez, I, that's that's a stretch. I mean, that's how I view it. Do you? Yeah. Agree? Oh, absolutely. I you know I think we give young people too little credit about what they can deal with with literature. You know, especially those who have crossed the threshold of like eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yeah. They know the world. We they've been looking at screens and reading about things and and using social media. They're they're not naive or innocence, and they certainly can. You know, and and that's not to say that there aren't folks who might need a little assistance and things like that but this the banning the book isn't going to solve the problem of somebody who's at, on the threshold of suicide yeah and as uh, my father used to tell me all the time yeah you're not made of sugar now he would tell me that because he wanted me to go walk in the rain <laughs> i wanted to ride <laughs> you're not made of sugar you won't melt uh anyway all right number five um, uh, drama written and illustrated by Raina Telig. Uh, how does she pronounce Telgemeier? Telgemeier. And so she is um, an author who does graphic novels for mm -hmm. um, middle school adolescents. Um, again, coming of age, dealing with your changing bodies, your social relationships in middle school and, and the beginning of high school, which we all know are the worst uh, and things. And in this particular graphic novel, she included uh, a same-sex relationship and LGBTQ characters. So again, objection, a little bit too much honesty about the adolescent experience. And by the way, there are gay people out there. And that's apparently too much for some parents to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they went to the route of banning the book. I am going to put that under the category of a Trump voter. Yeah. Uh, all right. The, oh, we all know The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Absolutely. This is, of course, you know, this young adult novel yep. about a young woman of color dealing with the police shooting down her friend in front of her and her response and her community's response to that. Um, and uh, there have been... It's been challenged primarily because uh, police see it as anti-cop. Uh, we actually had a fraternal order of police order, uh, fraternal order of police chapter in South Carolina challenge the book when it was placed on that high school reading list, um, and uh, all American boys as well. They wanted them off because they said this indoctrinates kids to be anti-cop, and my response is it indoctrinates kids to be uh, thoughtful about their relationship with the police. <laughs> but uh, in any case, um, and they also got attention. It uses, there's profanity. There's drug use. Um, sexuality in the book as well and and so uh, there were challenges to it it was actually removed in a uh, school district in texas um and and did you get it back on that no. we we assisted them uh angie thomas has written extensively about that the student who challenged the challenge um actually got um uh, some national attention we supported her and gave her assistance um, and she's become quite the activist on social media for the freedom to read, as well as Angie Thomas herself. Yeah, the freedom to read. What a great concept, the freedom to read. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. It's a controversial subject, uh, mm -hmm. but it's a very real subject. We talk about it on our show all the time. It's in the newspapers all the time, police relations with uh, black neighborhoods. Well... Uh, and you have, but you have to have books that reflect the real ex lived experience of people who live in the community, and it, and that's the great thing about the hate you give. It's so honest and and that, about the emotions, the damage, the hurt, um, the consequences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, she starts out talking about the talk. You know, and I can't imagine it. I, I'm a white person of privilege, I can't imagine having to have that talk with my child, mm -hmm. you know, uh, even though I, I, my child went to Chicago schools and everything like that. Um, the talk being... You, you, this is what you do with police. You don't talk back. You keep your hands in sight. You do what the policeman says. You don't make any sudden moves. You don't dive for anything. You don't put your hands in the pockets. You never give them any, you don't give them any lip. You don't give them any excuse at all to um, react to your behavior. 
Yeah. Uh, by the way, I urge everybody along these lines, there's a very funny bit by Dave Chappelle about the contrasting ways that a white person deals with a cop who, while smoking marijuana and a black person. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely <laughs> urge everybody to check out that. Dave Chappelle might be on this list from a Clinton voter, but mm -hmm. uh, this is just books here, so we're not going to do a Netflix series. All right, number three. Oh, we're at the top three? Yes. All right. Number, number three. three. That is correct. Oh. Captain Underpants. Well, Captain Underpants, <laughs> the favorite of seven to eight-year-old boys everywhere. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> enormously popular with elementary school guys and a real gateway into reading for them, um, convincing them that books aren't the enemy and that there's value in learning to read. But Mr. Pilkey is not really respectful of social norms. Um, and so the Mr. book... Mr. Pilkey, Dav Pilkey, the author. Right. Oh, yeah. Yes. And so Dav Pilkey, the author, um, is... Um, questions authority in many and varied ways, uses words like fart and poop and plays to every, um, uh, what young men think are humorous that, that uh, do think are, is humorous. Yeah, wait, just young men? Dennis is cracking up over there. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. Fart, poop. I just had to do that. Uh, yeah. Tidy whiteies, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, yeah. And so it's, 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 it's a challenge for encouraging um, disruptive behavior in the classroom because they are afraid young men will follow the model of the protagonist of the book who hypnotize their principal into thinking that he's a superhero who wears his tidy whities as his uniform. That sounds hilarious. It is. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. If I, I'm, I'm finding myself attracted to the book, and it's been a long time since I was either seven or eight. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it is a series. and um, So what do people literally object to? Well, you know, the, 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 the word fart? Fart and poop, and uh, and also the fact that the young men just defy authority. They take a principal and turn him into their puppet by using hypnosis. And um, you know, it's it's just like every young third grader's dream. You know, taking control of their principal and and making them do things that make hold hold them up to ridicule. You and know, have you have you uh, been successful in fighting off this? Book? Most often, um, because, you know, school libraries are not just for supporting the curriculum. They're mm -hmm. for encouraging literacy and a love of reading. And that means having books that feed uh, your soul from an entertainment perspective. And that's what Captain Underpants does. Um, when I say that's a gateway for reading, many reluctant readers find themselves gaining the skills they need just so they can read this book. Mm -hmm. And then they go on from there. Um, and uh, Mr. Pilkey is very beloved by our office. He's supported Band Books Week for many years. He's even drew, he both writes and illustrates the book, and he created a Captain Underpants poster for Band Books Week oh, a cool. few years. I'm going to go check him out this weekend and go to the library. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also got challenged because Captain Underpants was progressive enough to include a same-sex couple in the last book in the series. So you're, you're detecting a theme here, yeah. I hope. Uh, yeah, well, I put that under the Trump category. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, in other words, same-sex couples fart as well as uh, yeah. other couples. Hmm, interesting. All right. Uh, a day in the life of Mar... Wait, we didn't do... No, number no, two. Thank you. Uh, a day in the life <laughs> of Marlon Bundo by Jill Twiss. What's that of Marlon Bundo? Well, um, our the daughter of our beloved vice president wrote a book about called The Day in the Life of the Vice President, and the putative author was the family's bunny named Marlon Bundo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you didn't think anybody would leave this alone, uh, would you? No. So uh, Jill Twiss, a writer on uh, John Oliver's show last week tonight, uh -huh. um, uh, with Mr. Oliver's and the other writing staff's cooperation, wrote a parody picture book called A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo mm -hmm. rather than A Day in the Life of the Vice President. And... Um, <laughs> Um, uh, it, it details how Mr. Bundo is gay <laughs> and that uh, um, he meets another boy bunny and they get married, despite the stink bug telling them that bun boy bunny doesn't marry boy bunnies and, and, and things like that. And all the proceeds of the book went to the Trevor Project, which is dedicated to preventing suicide among gay and transgender teens and, and the AIDS Foundation as well. Um, I have to say, in, to credit 
to the Pences. They took it in good humor, and they supported the book in light of the fact that the money was going to charity. But it is uh, a lovely parody, uh, and it's been challenged because same-sex marriage, same-sex couple, um, and it's political and religious viewpoints. It is the number two book on the list of banned books, and I would say since it's parodying uh, Mike Pence, I would definitely say the people objecting would be Trump Pence supporters, okay? Absolutely. I would just, I don't think any Clinton uh, Kane supporters, boy, it took a while to remember who the vice presidential candidate was mm-hmm. in 2016. Yeah, there's a reason for that. <laughs> it's kind of a boring guy. No, man, I told him that, you know, Hillary didn't listen to me, D, all right? <laughs> She didn't listen to me. Don't take Kane. Um, should take Bernie Sanders. Uh, she'd be president today. Anyway, number one. It is time for the final book. People, it is time for number one. <laughs> and that is George by Alex Gino. Well, I could go through all the uh, petty reasons why the book was challenged, such as the fact it mentions dirty magazines or encourages children or teaches children how to clear their browser history so parents don't know what they're looking at on the Internet. I should be reading that book. (laughs) (laughs) I could use some tips in that light. Um, But the real reason that this book has been challenged over and over again is that the protagonist is a transgender girl. And when George goes to audition for the female part in the school play, uh, faces all kinds of consequences, both socially and academically and in his life, her life. And, um, and it's just a really great uh, novel. It's not a young adult novel in the sense that it's meant for high schoolers. It's aimed at middle schoolers and late uh, elementary school, which probably adds to the desire to remove it from schools and libraries. Gotcha. And uh, have they been generally successful? The people? No, we've been very successful in supporting the retention of the book, particularly in public school, uh, public libraries. But uh, a number of school libraries have either removed it or taken it off reading lists. That's another place. They, they uh, particularly in Oregon, there was uh, they have something called the Battle of the Books, and so schools read books to gain points and win the Battle of the Books. And so George was on the list for a book that could be read for the Battle of the Books, and a number of schools were so incensed, our school administrators were so incensed at its inclusion that they pulled their school out of the competition rather than even risking the chance that one of the students would read George as part of the competition. Now, the interesting thing about this list, uh, almost all the books are children's books or uh, young adult books. There's no quote-unquote adult books. There's just no Huckleberry Finn. Mm-hmm. There's no Catcher in the Rye. I'm just trying to think of some of the perennials uh, mm-hmm. that in the past, like a Toni Morrison novel. And there's not like, well, uh, there's there's none of like James Baldwin novels, uh, Giovanni's room. I mean, these, I'm just thinking of yeah. adult books from past lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lady believe- Chatterley's Lover It's not on the list. No, um, and I would tell you the reason that, well, Here's the thing. I think we've reached uh, some sort of consensus in this country. Adult books written for adult audiences um, and uh, distributed to adults very rarely get challenged. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say never because Fifty Shades of Grey was the exception that proved the rule. Um, but in fact, that's the last book I can remember that received, uh, uh, there was a campaign to remove it from libraries and things because of the sex situations, of course. Um, but when, even when adult books are on this list, it's because they're being provided to young people as part of their reading curriculum or they're in a high school library. So where the real area of contention is, is what literature is available to young people. Mm. And, um, and, you know, uh, you have an issue with, um, we have a real, I, I have to say, there's a real movement in this country, I think, to silence LGBTQ voices, particularly in schools, in li- uh, public schools mm-hmm. and public libraries, in the collections for young people. Um, I, you know, and always there's this debate about uh, what should be available for young people regarding sex and sexuality, uh, what they're ready for, you know, and so 
challenging literature. Um, when I say challenging, I mean complex adult literature dealing with adult uh, with the realities of life, the complexities of life, like Beloved, and you know, dealing with racism, dealing with uh, the historical le legacies of slavery and things like that, um, are challenged because there are simply adults who believe that. Children, i.e. 17 and 18 year olds, are not prepared emotionally, morally, or intellectually to deal with those topics. And so that's when we see challenges to things like uh, Beloved, Catcher in the Rye, mm -hmm. The Bluest Eye. Yeah, so they're doing it under the guise of protecting uh, children. Absolutely. Uh, or young people. All right, so I'm going to do my tally, and I'm not um, no great mathematician. I'm no John Green. He was a mathematician as well as a young uh, yeah. author. Don't know if you guys knew that. But uh, anyway, there are 11 books on this list. 10 out of those books are by Trump supporters. Uh, 10 of the ba bad books are being banned by Trump supporters. One by what I would think would be a Clinton supporter. The Trump supporters win overwhelmingly. Okay, for once, Trump has wo actually won an election. All right? He didn't win <laughs> the last one. That is correct, Bob Mueller. So, Trump, you won something. Your, your supporters uh, ban more books than Clinton supporters. So, that's something to think about. Uh, you know, all you Trumpsters out there who cry when a liberal is offended by something insensitive that you say. You go, oh, you're a snowflake but it turns out that the real snowflakes are trump supporters um do you have any uh i'm gonna have to ask you the phil ponce question and i name it for phil ponce uh, from wttw uh and that is well what should parents do uh if they in their heart have a legitimate uh what they consider a legitimate complaint about a book uh, in a library should they be helpless or should they have any rights well they absolutely do have a right and we actually support the right of individuals parents uh, community members to raise concerns about books. We counsel every library, um, public library, to have a reconsideration policy. Every school should have it as well. And that guarantees due process in the sense that um, you have a right to petition the government. You have a right to have your your um, uh, petition heard fairly mm -hmm. and in an even-handed manner. It may not does not mean that it's going to come out the way you want it to come out, but you have a right to be heard and have that handled responsibly by the government agency involved, in this case, library or school. Um, every, uh, if, you are, if your child's in a public school and, or if they're using the public library, you have an absolute right to ask the school to exempt your child from a reading assignment and uh, get a substitute assignment. But what you don't have a right to do is to demand that the entire curriculum be tailored to your sensitivities, to your morality, to your religious beliefs for the entire community, um, or that the library be sanitized to meet your needs. And, and so um, the librarians and educators are professionals. They meet you where you are. They're more than happy to work with you to make sure that you have the information the books you need to serve the needs of your family and if that means you know and tailor it to your moral and religious beliefs but that also means you have to tolerate the fact that they're doing it for other families who have completely different moral and religious beliefs who are also taxpayers and have a right to be have their books in the library as well well put. Deborah Caldwell Stone, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to get more information about uh, banned books, if they want to learn about what they can do to fight the banning of books, how do they get in touch with you? Well, they can go to our website, ala.org slash bbooks will take you to our page on book banning. Uh, it has our censorship reporting form on there. It has information about banned books and banned books week. Um, and it gives you our contact information. Um, if you ever are encountering a challenge, there's a phone number to call and we'll be happy to assist any librarian, any educator, any community member who's fighting censorship in their community. All right. Very good. Before I let you go, do you have any recommendations for adult uh, readers out there? Any, some books that you've read lately that you really like and you're urging folks to read? Um, I particularly love Nickel Boys, I, uh, Colin Whitehead's oh, the new, new book. It came out, yeah. Yeah, um, which is about, uh, it's, it, again, uh, a really emotional uh, novel um, about uh, young men incarcerated in a juvenile reform facility in Florida, and, and they're suffering, frankly, um, and, and things. Um, but another book, too, uh, um, Shout, uh, by Laurie Hulse Anderson, which is her um, sequel to her 
um, other novel, which I'm sorry, I'm having a senior moment. Uh, the moments come to me more and more. Yeah. Yes, but um, uh, but uh, it was uh, shout is about a young woman deciding to speak out about her rape, her Me Too moment, mm -hmm. and and very compelling young adult novel. Well, I'm going to give you a recommendation: City Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. I don't know if you read it yet. I. I can't imagine it being on a banned book list, but you never know. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a blast to read. Are you a fan of hers by any chance? You know? uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah, okay. Everybody goes the same thing. <laughs> ben, Eat, Pray, Love. It's a really good book. <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, I'm not a woo-woo person, okay? okay? You know, and so, like... I've I recommended two things to her. She snubbed them both. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, I don't like Philip Tarantino or Quentin No, no, Tarantino. no, no. I told you, I want to see the movie. I don't like the theater experience anymore. <laughs> I believe you said that movie should be banned. I'm just kidding. She did not say that. Uh, but anyway, City Girls was a lot of fun to read. Okay, to I'll, I'll have to look it up. Uh, it's it's, And I really can't imagine anyone banning it. But it's been a blast talking to you. I really appreciate it. And um, I love doing this, going through these lists this way, because I just think it's outrageous. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just... In, I'm, I'm just getting my soapbox here, Deborah. I mean... You, your kid has a book that's controversial. It's, if nothing else, it's an opportunity to talk to your kid. God forbid you do that. You know, you know teachable moments, you know. Or maybe yeah. they'll teach you something, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, and, it, and, and actually, for me as a lawyer, um, it, for me, it's like you just can't chip away at the First Amendment. When you start making exceptions and putting asterisks on the First Amendment, you know, one of these days it's going to turn around and bite you on the ass. Your rights will be taken away under that same principle, you yeah. know. And that's actually an irony I'll point out to you. Drag queen story times. Protests all over the country about drag queen story times. But did you know that libraries that are have actually have First Amendment obligation to host them? Because religious institutions, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, Liberty Council went in and sued libraries for access to their meeting rooms for religious organizations. And that principle applies to drag queen story times as well as religious organizations. Wow. So libraries absolutely have to let these groups in. And now they're protesting the fact that a program's occurring that they don't like. Isn't that something? We're coming full circle. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, as absolutely. my mom used to say all the time. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. They, like I always say, uh, the, the Trump crowd, uh, wants the freedom to insult anybody uh, that, that looks differently or thinks differently than them, but that if they get insulted, well, God help us all. Yeah. Anyway, I say the same thing about the Dave Chappelle thing. I've been standing up for Dave Chappelle uh, getting a lot of heat from some of my lefty friends. Anyway, um, thank you so much for coming on, Deborah Caldwell Stone. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the work you guys do uh, at the, the Library Association. And you were at the forefront of so many fights here in Chicago. Uh, Persepolis just being one that pops into my mind. So thank you for all the good work you do. Well, thanks for having us on, Ben. I all appreciate right. it. That's the end of another Ben Jarofsky Bonus Show. Take care, everybody. <laughs>